It's Sooner Nation podcast time. The bowl week is quickly approaching. It's December 19th, 2021. Oklahoma is, what is it, nine days away uh, from, no, 10 days away from playing uh, in the Alamo Bowl. This is a great start to the podcast. You don't even know when the bowl game is. Um, we have three questions that we want to address before. Actually, I guess maybe we have six questions, Rich, because there's three each. But we have some questions. You got questions. I got questions. We all got questions. There's some things we want to know uh, before we hit the bowl game, before we actually hit bowl prep. Uh, basketball with another win on Sunday afternoon. Also, is the 2022 class finished yet? Um, I don't think so. A big, big receiving target coming back for the Sooners. True or false questions featuring you, the listener, once again. Thanks so much for jumping in here with us. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Rich, Oklahoma basketball, 70 to 50 over uh, UTA, uh, University of Texas Arlington on Sunday afternoon. A couple of quick notes here. Um, first of all, this defense that Porter Mosier is promoting is, I mean, they're, I think they're starting to get the hang of it. 15 forced turnovers in this game, 11 steals by the Sooners. They had a 35 to 26 rebounding edge and 30 of their 35 rebounds were on the defensive end of the floor. You just produce stats like that and you shoot. Okay. Um, you're probably going to come out on the plus side of the scoreboard. But in addition to all that three sooner score and three of the five uh, sooner starters scoring double figures, uh, Jalen Hill with 12 Tanner Groves, 13 and your boy, Mo Gibson, rich, Four of eight from three-point range with a team-high 14 points. They didn't get in the top 25 this week. Do they get in this coming week? They were recording <laughs> on Sunday. The new poll comes out on Monday. Do they finally get to crack the top 25? Man, I, I don't know. Um, it's a really iffy game at this point in time. And I thought Oklahoma had two marquee wins, Matt. When yeah, we looked do. at that – two wins over ranked opponents in the non-conference portion of the schedule spoke volumes of the potential of this team. But I understand that there are a couple of questionable losses as well. Needless to say, I mean, this is a team and, and I've said this on several occasions that shooting the lights out of the gym, right? They did that once again. I, I think this is kind of the norm and people should probably start paying attention to what's happening in the style of offense that Oklahoma is running because it's been very, very successful so far for this program, even though we're just in the early goings of this season under a new head coach in Porter Mosier. Needless to say for me, Matt, I feel as though Oklahoma deserved a spot last week. So I have to say they deserve a spot this week. Will that actually transpire? <laughs> I'm not holding my breath for that one. But, you know, you talked about the shooting percentage, 54.9% from the floor for the Sooners. I think what doesn't get talked about enough is, again, the defensive intensity. They, they held UT Arlington. And not, let's, not, let's not call – I mean, let's call a spade a spade. UT Arlington came into this game 1-5 on the road and 3-6 and altogether on the season. So this isn't spectacular competition here for Porter Mosier and company, but – they held UTA to 34% from the floor, 17 to 50 total for the game. Uh, Mosier's getting it done with defense. And again, you're right. They're, Oklahoma's shooting well from the floor. They're balanced 35 points in the first half, 35 points in the second half. And this is a team that they're going to have those bad nights. They're going to have those off nights like what we saw in their two losses on the season. But if they continue to improve and take steps forward defensively, uh, you, you might be able to sneak out a win on an off off night when you're just the shots aren't falling the way you want them to. Yeah. Um, man, I, I, I really don't know where to take your, your statement. Honestly, um, you're talking about Oklahoma shots, not falling how they want them to. No, I'm just saying there there's nights when they haven't fallen. You, you go back to the oh, loss, yeah, yeah. Uh, the loss out in, in Myrtle beach. You, you go back to the home loss, just a, uh, week and a half ago and those are bad shooting nights for Oklahoma but if they continue to improve and amp up their defensive play what I'm saying is even when you have a night like that you're still going to be in a position to get a win I think oh yeah of course um defensively man if if you I feel like this goes without saying it's why I take this deep breath as I begin to say it but if you can shut down an opponent of course you're giving yourself an opportunity to win 
regardless of your offensive output, the positive side for Oklahoma is that the two games that you're mentioning have really been an anomaly for them. Right. It hasn't, it hasn't been the norm. I don't know what to expect. I feel like we may be setting ourselves up for high expectations once we hit conference play and Oklahoma may fail to achieve those because the big 12 is not an easy conference to play in, especially when you're looking at defending national champions, Baylor, you're looking at a Texas program that's been in the top 10. You're looking at a Kansas program that's in the top 10 as well. And then of course, Iowa state's making a little bit of noise. They're, they're the surprise team. The bigger surprise to me than Oklahoma is through the 11 games that they've played big 12 is not going to be easy. And I'm approaching this cautiously because I don't want to set myself up for these lofty expectations only to be let down in the, the brutal stretch that is the big 12. Well, there's no doubt that the big 12 conference play is going to be something that's, that's unprecedented for this team through the first part of this schedule. Now they still have one more game and then they, they start conference play against Kansas state, but yeah, you're right. This, this is a conference that is one of the, if not the best basketball conferences in the country. And it's, it's not like we haven't seen even in, in the long Kruger days, this team run through the non-conference portion of the schedule really look solid, look, look like they're a top 15 program and then kind of fall flat to start conference play and have to readjust and all that. And I would expect Porter Mosier to go through that. Now that said, I don't think Oklahoma is going to be seven, eight, nine or 10 in the big 12 at this point. They're, they're looking the big at, 12 or, or in the, the nation in the big 12. I, I, I don't I, seven, eight, I, nine or 10. Okay. I don't think they're going to be in the bottom half at the bottom half of the bottom half. I guess what I'm saying. I, I, I understand you. I, I <laughs> you think threw that, me for a loop. I, I think they can, I really do. I think they can compete to be in the top half of the big 12. Um, you're right. I mean, you, you, Baylor's got a spot there. Texas has got a spot there. Kansas has got a spot there. I don't know that I'm sold on Iowa state yet, but they certainly have everybody's attention, but I do think it's kind of open after those three, those are the three top contenders in this conference. And then I think there's, there's not much of a gap of after, after you get through that. Let's uh, let's switch over to pay the bills here. I always joke about how football pays the bills and we'll, we'll spend the rest of the podcast uh, talking about the gridiron. A lot of, there's a lot of things going on um, Twitter wise on Sunday that has uh, people up in arms, not up in arms, just curiosity is aroused. When you look at some of the things that the, the the recruits for the 2022 class are, are pointing out there, things like, you know, just the LOL and uh, don't don't forget this tweet or mark this tweet or whatever. There's something brewing there that could be anything from Caleb Williams officially announcing he's coming back soon to the hiring of another coach to a another commitment coming into this class. Now, you've got guys on both sides of the ball making comments. Kobe McKenzie's one of them. Um, you know, Nick Evers is one of them. So you got guys on both sides of the ball jumping in on this. So I wouldn't think as much that it's a, it's a coach as much as it is, is a player. I definitely, and I've said this all along. I've said this since the early signing period started. If you listen to the, the podcast that we did last week after the, the early signing period, Oklahoma is not finished. And I think there's three guys, Rich, that, that really we need to take a look at that could be the next three guys to, to come in this class. And I, I think the, the most obvious one is a guy that we've talked about, uh, Jaron Kanak, the 6'2", 210 athlete uh, from the state of Kansas. He's the number six athlete in this 2022 class. He's the number one player from the state of Kansas. Most people know his story. He's committed to Clemson. Brent Venables was recruiting there for the outside linebacker position. And I think he's going to come to Oklahoma. Everybody has him flipping from Clemson to Oklahoma. Even the Clemson insiders have him flipping over to the Sooners. You got a running back, Javante Barnes, um, who is not announcing his commitment until January 2nd at the Under Armour game. Uh, Javante Barnes, 34 scholarship offers, six foot 190. He's the number 15 running back in, in the, in the class, the number four overall player from the state of Nevada. And it's no, I mean, he, DeMarco Murray has been in on this guy for a long time. He's thought to be a solid 
um, commit. And some people have even said he's a silent commit. He's already committed. He's already signed, but they're not officially announcing that until the, the Under Armour game. And then there's a, there's a massive offensive tackle out there in Devin Campbell, 32 scholarship offers, a four-star um, offensive, uh, four-star uh, recruit, the number one interior offensive lineman in the entire class, number six pl- overall player from the state of Texas, 35 scholarship offers. He's a kid that most people have him going to Texas, particularly with the, the NIL deal that Texas is doing for this 2022 class. But there is some smoke here with this kid towards Oklahoma. So when, when you're looking at this class, first of all, I, I don't know if you agree or disagree with me. I don't think this class is done. Um, I think there's, there's, there are multiple more, there are going to be multiple additions to this class, not just one, but you and I haven't had a chance to talk about Oklahoma in this 2022 class since the early signing period began. Give me your thoughts on, because we did talk last time we recorded together about whether this class would, the momentum it would be able to pick back up. And you were kind of on the side of maybe next year, maybe 2023, yeah, jump back yeah, of in course. there. And now they're, you got a top 10 class that they're not quite finished with yet. <clears throat> First off, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I'm a little bit shocked that Oklahoma did claim a spot in the top 10 thus far in the recruiting rankings. It's a good indicator that the hire of a guy like Brent Venables bringing in Levy, obviously making these changes and retaining some of these coaches provided stabilization at the university and within the football program. I know that those changes happened quick. I know that there was a whirlwind of hires out there and everybody was trying to be the first, if you will, to release all of this information that was happening. And so we had a storm of news articles that centered around Lincoln Riley, that centered around Brian Kelly, that centered around uh, Cristobal. We, there was, like I said, a plethora of places you could go to look at what was happening. And of course, each and every single one of those articles talked about how it would shift or shape the recruiting landscape. Um, I bought into that hook, line, and sinker, and I don't think it had as big of an effect on the recruiting landscape as I was expecting it to have. So for Oklahoma to be in the top 10, like I said, I, I was surprised by that, but I do have to agree with you. I think there's a couple of positions that Oklahoma needs to address and needs to address more immediately rather than waiting until the 2023 class, which therefore means they will be adding to this class. And more specifically, Matt, I I am looking at the running back position. All eyes right now are on Kennedy Brooks. He's not opted out of the bowl game, the Alamo bowl against Oregon, like some other players who you're expecting to get ready for the NFL. Kennedy Brooks, because of the year that was granted due to COVID because of Him also sitting out a year, he still has one year of eligibility. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if he steps onto the field in the Crimson and Cream, if he's at the University of Oklahoma, he will be 24 years old. Now, that's just a little bit odd by the time the NFL draft comes along. He would be one of the older members of that draft class. All eyes are on him. He hasn't made a decision yet. I don't think he's going to make a decision within the next 10 days either. That would be something after the turn of the new year. And Matt, you and I have said numerous times that Kennedy Brooks has enough film on file for an NFL team to draft him. If he does opt for the NFL, and I think that he very well could, I don't know if he's gotten a draft grade. I don't know what he's waiting on to make his decision or if it's taking the mentality of saying, I'm going to finish out what I started here at the university um, some of the comments make me think he's coming back when he talks about Jerry Schmidt and other comments make me think that he's done. So I'm caught in the middle when it comes to Kennedy Brooks, but I definitely think it's a position that they need to restock. You look at the flip of Ray League Brown after Lincoln Riley leaves Brown now headed to USC. Of course, Gavin Salchuk sticks with the university of Oklahoma. And then of course you are going to have some attrition. Um, there is, There are players, capable players on the roster, but the running back position is one where it seems as though an injury drastically changes the entire outlook for that position group, as well as, as we found out this past year, academic ineligibility. 
Well, and Marcus Major, yeah, that's that's a great segue into Marcus Major. I I think this is the next potentially the next star running back at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of a lot of fun with what they can do with a kid like that. W- when you talk about Kennedy Brooks, I think he's gone. I mean, I, he's going to play in the bowl game. I loved his comment. He came out. He- here's what he said. Um, I was raised just to think that, uh, excuse me, I was raised just to think that if you're going to start something, then you finish it. Me opting out last year, I missed it. So I ain't trying to opt out and miss more games. I I think he's gone. I, I I think he's he's basically saying I'm not going to opt out of the bowl game. I'm going to finish this season. But this is a guy that's got three 1,000 yard seasons in college. He's done more than enough. He has elite status at this university. Um, was in terms of running backs and yards produced by running backs. There's enough film there. I don't think he can grade out to get higher, much higher than where he already is going to be graded out with three 1,000-yard seasons under his belt. Now, that said, there's a lot of guys that are excited about on both sides of the ball. There's a lot of guys excited to play for Brent Venables. There's a lot of guys excited to play for Jeff Levy. But if, if you made me put my money on the table right now, Kennedy Brooks is not a part of this team, which makes a, a commitment by a guy like Javante Barnes that much more valuable. And at some point, I said this in the Thursday podcast, at some point, I think after the bowl game, after Brent Venables and Jeff Levy, uh, they see what their roster looks like. Then you start really hitting up the the transfer portal and, and things begin to make more sense as far as putting your roster together that way. So that's it for uh, our thoughts on a 2022 class. Clearly it's going to grow, but there is one guy that jumped in the portal and is now out of it. And we're going to talk about him in just a second. Rich, give me your, your closing thoughts on this. I just want to throw <laughs> throw this question at the wall um, and get your take on it. Because Matt, we talked about a guy like a hero canoe. We talked about stepping onto campus and immediately having the coolest name. We talked about the attention that that might draw. And now in the era of the NIL, how crazy would it be to have a marketing team like the one that Oklahoma has, who's been on the bleeding edge of developing these brands and then being gifted a name like Hero. Knowing who is recruiting him, he has yet to commit, um, whether that's to Oklahoma or anywhere at this point in time, but knowing who is recruiting him, I believe that was Kane and Thibodeau. Is Oklahoma out on him completely? No, Oklahoma's not out on him completely. Um, he he's not announcing his commitment until January eighth, um, and he's one of those kids that's going to go to the last minute. But I, I really feel like Ohio State. He, he's this kid, in my opinion, at this moment, he's going to be playing for the Ohio State Buckeyes next year um, throughout his collegiate career. But Georgia's still in on him officially. Georgia's still in on him. Notre Dame is still on him. Um, but you're right. It was Calvin Thibodeau. It was Jamar Kane that were recruiting him. And neither one of those guys are on are on staff here anymore. You know, Calvin Thibodeau is in Dallas. Jamar mm-hmm. Kane uh, out in Los Angeles. So he's coming back for the bowl game. But that said, he's not going to be recruiting while he's back. Uh, so I, I think I think Kenny is definitely going to end up at Ohio State. And and I think that's okay. I, I don't I don't know that that this was a make or break guy for this class, particularly along this defensive line. Yeah, you, yeah, you're losing guys, but you're you've got some young talent. I mean, I'm excited. I, I, I would have preferably, I would have loved to have seen, you know, Nick Benito and Perry on Winfrey and so forth uh, in this bowl game. But how can you not be excited to see what Isaiah Coe is going to bring to the table there along this defensive line? And, and here's, well, well, I'll tell you what, we're just going to table this because we're going to talk about that here in just a, a little bit. Um, because we're going to talk about three questions that we have leading into bowl prep. And that's one of my three questions. So can we, can we stick a pin in that conversation? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So this is the <laughs> nation podcast uh, coming on back on the other side. We got uh, a wide receiver returning from the transfer portal. We got true or false with your questions. And then speaking of questions, we've got some before bowl prep starts. This is the Sooner nation podcast. 
Theo Weiss jumps into the transfer portal, and about 10 days later, he jumps right back out of it, decides he's going to stay in Norman to be a part of what's happening. Rich, the first question here is, is I look at this as an indicator Caleb Williams is, is coming back. I mean, I think, I think all the, there's been no official announcement, but you know, you got, you got Michael Turk asking him on Twitter, Hey, you're going to let me punt this year, next year, uh, next fall. And, and Caleb Williams replying back. I'm not planning on it, but sometimes it happens. Now you got Theo Weiss going into the portal and coming back out of the portal. Dylan Gabriel's already out in, in California um, in Los Angeles. So I, I just, you, you look at the stars aligning, and the first thought is Theo Weiss doesn't come back to this team for a freshman quarterback, right? Doesn't come back for what? It, sorry, it broke up on me. Yeah, my bad. Dylan, I mean, Theo Weiss isn't going to come out of the transfer portal and come back and play for a freshman quarterback. I mean, he clearly knows something to make his decision to come out of the portal still in Norman. Yeah, I, I'm going to read into it a little bit more than that and say that it's a large reason why there were rumors swirling that Mims was also headed for the transfer portal, but has yet to enter his name into that. Something is clearly holding him up. And I know that he went on record and said that everybody handles situations differently. And I think it's this recognition that a lot of players were willing to make a knee jerk reaction on what was going to transpire. And then following the lead of other individuals, a la a Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. When we look at what was transpiring, I felt as though that would have been easy for any player to do, not knowing who was coming in, but sussing out the process, wading through the news that was, was basically hitting your doorstep each and every day, and then making an informed decision is what seems to be happening for some of these players. And those who made a la Theo Weiss, those who made that knee-jerk reaction, those who immediately responded and entered the transfer portal and have now come out of it are saying the exact same thing to me. So like I said, I'm reading a little bit further into that because of what Mims has said and Mims' decision at this point in time. And I do believe that Theo Weiss is echoing that. Do you want to play for uh, an electric signal caller? Do you want to play alongside one of those individuals, which is Caleb Williams? The answer is absolutely yes. And Oklahoma, I think, again, we talked about the stability just a second ago, but with a hire, they're putting all the pieces in place that can still get these players into the NFL and can compose these highlight reels that they're looking for to build their resume for becoming a first round draft pick. And I don't think it can be overlooked just the, uh, the, how, how good of a, this is huge for Oklahoma. I'm just going to put it out that way because Theo Weiss is a guy who didn't play at all in 2021 because of a lower leg injury he suffered in fall camp. But in 2020, he tied for the team lead in receptions with 37, 530 yards, four touchdowns. This is, this is a big get for Oklahoma to have him come back out of the portal and to be a part of this team. And you, you talked about, uh, you know, uh, the guys that, that are gone and, Austin Stogner, he, he's out of here. Jaden Hazelwood, he's out of here. Those guys jumped into the SEC um, ahead of Oklahoma going into the SEC. But this, you're looking at a at a receiving core. I, I think what we're going to see in this bowl game in the Alamo Bowl is going to be a good preview of what this team is going to put on the field as far as the depth of the receiving core. You've got Theo Weiss. I expect him to play. In the bowl game, uh, he suited up for Bedlam. He didn't get in the game for Bedlam, but he was he was on the field. He was suited up for that. Marvin Mims, you, you mentioned him. Drake Stoops should be healthy and be back with his team by the bowl game. Mario Williams, Michael Woods, and all, all five of those guys, Rich, all five could be back with this team going into next season. And that doesn't that doesn't even include guys like Cody Jackson and Jalil Farouk, who very much could be a part um, a bigger role next year than what they had this year. When you look at Stogner and, and Hazelwood who are out the door. You, one of the things that we said, and this is where I'm saying you hit the nail on the head with it without so much as saying it, we entered the 2021 season saying that the wide receiver position was possibly the deepest position on the roster, you lose Theo Weiss, which really brought about those types of conversations. And you still see the productivity from that group. 
it may not have been the the deep ball that won the day, but when the receivers were asked to deliver, they delivered time and time again. You're looking once again at this wide receiver position, Matt, and, and I have to say it's the position heading into 2022 that can suffer some losses and still remain at a similar, similar level of productivity, regardless of who is calling the shots as the offensive coordinator. And I'll say this why I'm at it, because I questioned this before Lincoln Riley ever made his decision, was heading into 2022, I said, did Lincoln Riley need to hire an offensive coordinator to take that off of his table yeah. of responsibilities and instead shoulder just the head coaching role while delegating the rest of that and signing off or approving on a game plan. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that anymore. And I, like I said, I, I think Levy, Oklahoma is putting the right pieces on this staff. They're collecting them in such a way that provided stability for this team and the wide receivers are, are going to be a piece to that puzzle that Oklahoma will have to address, but I don't think it's as big of a deficit in terms of productivity heading into 2022, as some might think when you look at the loss of an Austin Stogner, when you look at the loss of a Jaden Hazelwood, who's the highest rated receiver to ever sign with Oklahoma on that letter of intent. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that we can continue to, to say any more than what we've already said, but if you haven't seen the body transformation of Cody Jackson, from the time he stepped on campus to what he is now, um, I, that guy just, I test alone looks like he's going to be a star. And again, yeah. he's, a, he's a guy that, that when you talk about attrition, probably gets more, more reps, even in this bowl game coming up against Oregon and Oklahoma fans should be excited about him. True or false coming up. It's your questions. Rich is putting in the hot seat and you get to ask him and uh, we'll see how he responds to just that. Rich, you um, look, you, you've, you've been the odd man out here recently on the podcast because of my travel schedule. And so I've been dealing with the brunt of the true or false questions. And we're having a lot of fun with this. At least I am um, reaching out to people on social media and asking them uh, to really uh, give us their thoughts uh, about Oklahoma football, Oklahoma basketball, the state of the, you know, the university or whatever uh, in the form of a true or false statement. And, of course, you know the drill here. And if you're listening to the podcast, if you're a regular listener, you know, uh, we throw a statement out there and you will say whether it's true or false. And then you will uh, defend your answer. You'll explain why you labeled it that way. And I may or, or may not have a thought here, but since I've taken the brunt of these over the, the last uh, three or four weeks, I'm going to put you once again in the hot seat. So let me ask you, my man, are, are you ready? <laughs> I have a choice. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> so okay, well, go. let's do it. Um, this, this is an easy one. We'll start you off. We'll start you off easy. All right. Uh, this comes from Twitter. By the way, you can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Uh, we podcast on Thursdays and Sundays, and we put it out there. If you want to give us a true or false question, we put it out there for you uh, to have the opportunity to do this. So all of them are from Twitter tonight. Here we go. Um, true or false. Bob Stoops will get win number 191 against Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. I do have to say the answer to that question is true. What we've seen is really a blueprint that has been laid by Utah. Utah beating Oregon twice over the course of three weeks did so by, by running the ball effectively. You look at what Oklahoma is bringing to the table, not only in Caleb Williams with his ability to move as a ball carrier, but also with Kennedy Brooks, there are a couple of other backs that I do expect to see, but Kennedy Brooks will be the feature of that set. If Oklahoma can get that initial push at the line of scrimmage, they can begin to open up holes and give Kennedy Brooks a little bit of wiggle room. And then, of course, Caleb Williams using uh, mm -hmm. some of the instincts that we've seen throughout this season in this game instead of holding the ball and just getting upfield instead of wanting to make that big throw Oklahoma should eclipse that that 200 yard mark pretty easily just my take on it in a quick moment and it's the large reason why I think Oklahoma goes on to win this one there are obviously benefits for running the ball one it should limit the number of turnovers 
Two, it's obviously going to control the clock. And Bob Stoops is not a guy who's entering this game as a, a green head coach. Right. He has years of experience. And if you think any of that experience just went out the window because he's doing work as an analyst now, I would be willing to, to say that you're wrong. Bob Stoops is considered one of the greatest coaches in Oklahoma history for a reason. He will be inducted into the, the college well, football hall been. of fame. Yeah, I mean, that, that, he that, has been inducted yeah, that's a done deal. For, for a reason. This is a guy who knows how to get it done. And when you look at what's transpired for Oregon, there's a lot of distractions for both teams. Who's going to be able to mitigate that a little bit better. I think because of coach Stoops, it, it is going to be Oklahoma minus the on the field product. So there's mm -hmm. two things that are working in favor of coach Stoops and why I believe he'll get that win. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to hold off on answering this question because I have questions, you know, and, and we're going to talk about those here in just a minute, but I, I will say definitely uh, the coaching matchup is in Oklahoma's favor, even though you've got a little bit of a skeleton crew, you're, you're promoting some graduate assistants up into position coaching. You're, you're bringing back coaches from USC. You're bringing up back Calvin Thibodeau from SMU. And so part of your coaching staff, particularly on the defensive side of the ball are guys that aren't even in your program anymore, but, when you look at the interim head coaches, Oklahoma has a hall of famer and that's a clear advantage for the Sooners in this matchup. But there's some other things in there that I, that I want to talk about. And I want to really discuss before I, I go all in on picking Oklahoma to win this game, but why we're talking about it, why we're talking about Oregon specifically, I do need to make a, a, a little bit of a retraction and, and, and a, a correction from what I said last week. And I, I said um, when I recorded the other day, I was talking about the Pac-12. It was one of the true or false questions about the Pac-12 being more difficult than what um, Lincoln Riley thought it was going to be when he initially went there. And I said, inadvertently, I said Lane Kiffin, the new Oregon head coach, which totally isn't true. Um, but obviously, I mean, everybody knows is, is Dan Lanning. And, and I don't, I didn't even realize I said it until I got a couple messages going, uh, dude, you realize Lane Kiffin is not the head coach at Oregon. I'm like, Oh, did I say that? So um, my bad. Uh, I know that, you know, that we all know that sometimes you say things and, and you just, uh, you have those slips. Um, but uh, I, I, I want to say, I agree with you, Rich. I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to hold off though for just a little bit longer. And uh, clearly before the bowl game uh, a week from Thursday, we will have um, an, an answer for you. And um, so let's do this. All right, here we go. Um, true or false, Danny Stutzman, Ethan Downs, and Reggie Grimes is going to show us how bright the future is when the Sooners play the Oregon Ducks. Man, that was um, a preview. That's almost word for word, almost verbatim for one of the three questions I had for this bowl game between Oklahoma and Oregon. And I think that one, once again, is a resounding yeah. yes. When we look at not just what Ethan Downs has done. And I don't, I, I know that he doesn't receive as much of the glory as a guy like Danny Stutzman because of the moments that Danny Stutzman had, but you can look at the tenacity. You can look at the drive that a guy like Ethan Downs has, and you can quickly understand why he was the top rated recruit in Oklahoma for so long. He signs with the university of Oklahoma chooses to stay in state and has had opportunities to show yeah. these flashes of brilliance. I believe that he's going to be the next in this line of dominant defensive line. He's going to fit for me, at least into the mold of a guy like an Isaiah Thomas, needless to say, hmm. when you look at what Oklahoma has, what's opted out of this bowl game, there's a lot of room to prove just what the future is going to look like in terms of the entire front seven. Now, Nick Benito, we mentioned, is sitting out. You mentioned Perion Winfrey, um, Isaiah Thomas, all these guys sitting out, Brian Asamoa, all these guys sitting out from the bowl game. It leaves a lot of snaps to be had. I only have one question when it comes to this defensive line, and that is Jalen Redmond's going to be out there, no doubts for me. He's really the future of this defensive line. Ethan Downs would be that that next guy in line. You've mentioned Isaiah Coe, but I don't want to forget about another player who's played in the middle in Josh Ellison. 
what does his role mm-hmm. look like? That's the bigger question for me because there seems to be a lot of depth and a lot of talent, albeit I'm unproven at this point. Again, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying, but I'm going to reserve comment because that's that's <laughs> one of my questions. That's one of the things that we're going to talk about in the in the final segment. And I've got some thoughts there uh, that I'll I'll share with you, but. Um, but yeah, uh, for sure, uh, I agree with everything you've said. So let's move on to the next one then. Uh, number three, here we go, true or false. Um, with the uh, slight change in the system, I think we're talking about uh, philosophical and schematics of, of, this, uh, of, of this offense. With the slight change in the system and the addition of Smitty, the offensive line will go back to what we are used to seeing uh, next season and they will dominate. And I, I don't know that it was conditioning that was the major issue. So I'm going to say for those reasons, the answer is false for me. But will it be the defensive line that we're used to seeing? That one's true. Will it be the offense? Was it the offensive line or defensive line? Offensive line. Offensive line. Okay. My mind was so focused on the defensive line from the last question that I just ran with that. <laughs> offensive line, yes. I questioned conditioning coming out of the pandemic year um, in which was a shortened season in and of itself anyway. But when I look at the overall scheme, I'm sticking to my original answer that I do believe the answer is true. The reasons though, I I don't necessarily think fall into that same category and I'm going to label them as a false. Is it a positive thing that a guy like Schmidt is coming back as the strength and conditioning coach Absolutely. But it's not the strength and conditioning that I think is his biggest asset. It's (laughs) the producing of mental fortitude. Mm -hmm. That is his biggest asset. When you hear these players current and former, and there are very few current players who had any kind of an interaction with Jerry Smith on campus in his current role, other players are relying on word of mouth and hearing. I think the only guy, I honestly, I think the only guy, who had interaction with Jerry Schmidt is Caleb Kelly, who's been there for like 40 years. Kennedy Brooks was there. It was his first year. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anyone Kennedy Brooks age and, and older <laughs> would fall into that category. But Matt, you talk about feeling as though you've been pushed to your limit, feeling as though you've reached your breaking point. <laughs> and then Jerry Schmidt getting out there and telling you one more, yeah. one more it produces that mental fortitude and ultimately i believe that there is a culture shift i believe that there are changes that are happening and the players are feeling the effects of those now some of them have embraced it and others won't Mm -hmm. and it will weed out those in my opinion who are a little bit more on the mental soft side than the the mental fortitude and strength side but that will be ultimately what decides the product on the field specifically in regards to the offensive line is Schmidt a part of that yes but is it his strength and conditioning that will produce that quasi no um and partly yes at the same time but like i said it's it's knowing that you've hit your limit and a coach is asking for more out of you that's going to produce this mentality that you know what i thought that i couldn't but i actually can and that's what the this team, this offensive line, I believe has been missing. Yeah. And when it comes to this particular question, you know, I, I don't think Bill Biedenboe has forgotten how to coach offensive line. I, and I, and I think when you, I, I, again, if you haven't done it, go back, it won't be hard to find on Twitter and look at what the former players, look at what guys like uh, Caleb Kelly are saying about working out with, with Schmitty and what that was like and what, the transition is going to be like for these guys now in this roster who are going to go over to that. But even more than that, Rich, when you, when you look at, at this team, you look at the bowl game before you can truly answer this question about next season. I, I think it's easier to answer down the road. Would, would, will these guys be stronger? Will they be better in shape down the road? Yeah, I think they will be. Um, are they still going to be coached by one of the best offensive line coaches in the nation? Yeah, they will be. But when you talk about specifically next season, here, here are, here's the questions that, that have to be resolved following the bowl game. Eric Swinson, redshirt senior, Marquise Hayes, Redshirt senior, Robert Congle, redshirt senior. 
uh, Ian McIver, redshirt senior, Chris Murray, senior, Tyrese Robinson, redshirt senior. Now, again, COVID rules play different roles in, in this and whether a guy's staying or going in NFL, you know, um, what, whatever your draft grade comes back as. I will say this, though, something that's really interesting when you look particularly at the left guard spot, Marquise Hayes, again, redshirt senior, number two on that depth chart, Eric Swinson, redshirt senior, Bray Walker, who had been in the transfer portal, comes back out of the transfer portal to the University of Oklahoma. Why would he do that? He's number three on the depth chart, 6'6", 356, redshirt junior, but he's back. Does that mean, I mean, if you're trying to read between the lines, does that mean Marquise Hayes is gone? Does that mean Eric Swenson is gone? I, I don't know what that means, but I think it's this is a question that's easier to answer in the long run than it is in the immediate, because in the immediate, we don't have enough information about who's going to come back to this team uh, as opposed to who's going to be out the door following this bowl game. So I'm glad you're answering that question more definitively because you have to, and, and I don't because I'm not in the hot seat. Um, so here we go. Let's move on to number four. Uh, this is an, another easy one here. All right, another softball we're going to throw up here to you. Uh, true or false, Theo Weiss will show up and he'll show out against Oregon. <laughs> is that an easy one? I think it is. For me, it would be. I, I mean, I'll answer here's the it for guy, you. The answer is true. Here's the guy who hasn't played all season long. Uh, he's hungry. Um, and to think that you step in and have an immediate impact, I think Theo Weiss is that kind of a talent. Mm -hmm. So I am going to agree. I am going to say true. Theo Weiss is a guy who steps in as an outside receiver. Right. A slot, by the way, that was vacated by Hazelwood when he transferred to the University of Arkansas or Arkansas University. I don't know which, which direction that those go in. So, but I, I do know that Hazelwood's role has been vacated. I do know that Stogner's role has been vacated and these are this is an offense that's looking for a big bodied receiver who can fill those types of positions and who can utilize their physical attributes to gain an edge over a defender whether that be a cornerback whether that be a linebacker Oklahoma is going to target a big bodied receiver <laughs> I love this freshman class but it's hard to ignore what what Theo Weiss brings to the table. And assuming that he is healthy, I do have to say he will put up decent numbers, uh, but Marvin Mims is always my number one guy. I mean, that's fair enough, but the reality is Theo Weiss was supposed to be the deep threat on this team. He was supposed mm -hmm. to be that guy to stretch the field, and, and Hazelwood was a possession guy. Marvin Mims a possession guy. Mario Williams, the guy who gets the ball underneath and can be a home run threat anytime. But Theo Weiss was supposed to be the guy who would stretch the field. And if they have him back healthy against Oregon, it doesn't matter if it's one game or if it's, or, or you know, or if he got to play four games, he's that guy who stretches the field and, and defenses have to pay attention to. And this may be something that works out in Oklahoma's favor. And it is as, that you're playing Oregon. There's no really a lot of film swapping with Oregon and, and you, you got to go back to last year's film to, to find Theo Weiss. You don't have him on this year's film. You've got a, an interim staff. You're, you're going through coaching changes. How much are they going to do film study on Theo Weiss? So I, I think that that potentially brings out the opportunity for him to have a, a pretty fantastic game uh, in the Alamo Bowl. All right, last one. Last but not least, here we go. True or false, Lincoln Riley was more to blame than Rattler was for the problems that Spencer Rattler had in the first half of the season. Whoa. <laughs> Man, that's going to be putting a lot of the blame on, on one individual. I don't know if I'm ready to do that, but if I have to, if I have to, I, I'm going to say that is true. Um, we have labeled Lincoln Riley as the quarterback whisperer. Mm -hmm. We have labeled Lincoln Riley as the, possibly the greatest quarterbacks coach in college football history after winning back-to-back -back Heismans with a quarterback. And very early on in his role as an offensive coordinator with Oklahoma. But here's what I noticed. Here's what I saw. And this is just my take 
is that Oklahoma offensively became very conservative. And that's not the offense that I was accustomed to seeing under Lincoln Riley. As the head coach, as the offensive coordinator, I have to believe that that was a decision that he made based upon the talent that he had available on the field. You can't ask a player to do more than he's capable of. And you also can't ask a player to do something that's outside of the game plan that you have. And what we saw from Spencer Rattler, that was that he was a very capable passer. Mm -hmm. He's not the most agile. Um, I think that was proven this year. He's not the guy who has the same level of escapability as some of these other quarterbacks that we've seen in recent history. And more specifically, everybody wants to compare him to Caleb Williams. So I might as well do that as well. He just didn't have that level of escapability but he was a guy who had all the tools to make any throw that he wanted from any spot on the field. The offensive line, I think, became the Achilles heel for Lincoln Riley and t- took his playbook, however many pages it was, and basically cut it in half. When that happened, all of the blame does have to go on Lincoln Riley. It has to go on the play caller at that point in time. Yes, some of that falls on the execution. Yes, Some of that falls on the decision-making of the quarterback, but ultimately (laughs) I've stood by this statement for years and years. So why change now is that it's a coach's job to put their players in a position to succeed. And if they don't do so, then they need to handle the brunt of that responsibility and the criticism. Okay. So we're going to disagree on this um, because you do make valid points. So I'll throw that out there. You, you make valid points, but the reality is this Spencer Rattler in 2021 was not the Spencer Rattler we saw in 2020. The Spencer Rattler we saw in 2020 was a kid who was talented and hungry and willing to prove himself. The Spencer Rattler we saw in 2021 was a kid who felt like he had arrived, had proven himself, and really just kind of needed a, a place to hold serve until the NFL came calling. The NIL definitely affected Spencer Rattler, in my opinion. It changed his mentality. This is a guy who wasn't a team guy by by the by all by the accounts you see. I mean, I, I've said this about Caleb Williams so many times. And that Kenneth Williams is a man among the people. You see him at the basketball games. You see him out on campus. You're going to see him at softball games. You're going to see him at baseball games. You don't see Spencer Rattler in those settings. Spencer Rattler is not a guy who's out uh, with the people. Spencer Rattler had his entourage and he was with that entourage. The chemistry suffered uh, when Spencer Rattler started making money. Spencer Rattler's desire to prove himself and to earn it suffered when he started making money. I think you'll see a very different, a very humbled Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, because once again, he has to prove himself and he is a talented quarterback. But I think the crux of the problem with Spencer Rattler was in between his shoulders, right up there in the noggin. That was the issue that they had. That's what limited the playbook more than anything else because it was all about completion percentage. It was all about getting rid of the ball. It was not about the yards. It was not about getting the ball down the field. And and we've talked, we talked about this after the Texas game. We talked about it throughout the middle part of the season, how when Spencer Rattler would go through his progressions, it was front to back. And when Caleb Williams went through his progressions, it was back to front. Doing either one of those consistently is not good. And so there has to be some adjustment there. I think that's where Lincoln Riley probably failed more so with Caleb Williams than he did with Spencer Rattler because Rattler had that initially in 2020 he lost that in 2021. So I think you and I are going to disagree on this one. I do think there were some issues with Lincoln Riley. I don't think you can deny that at this point. I think he was coaching with one foot out the door since probably mid to late September. Um, And so that had something to do with it. But at the end of the day, uh, this was Spencer Rattler uh, disconnecting from this group of, of guys he took the field with and, And I think that had a lot to do with his failures on the football field. So there we go. Uh, True or false. Now, the good news is when we come back on Thursday is that Rich is going to be asking me the questions. And so we get to flop once again. We're not finished, though. We've got some questions that we want to throw out there and find answers to before Oklahoma begins bowl prep. This is the final segment for the Sooner Nation podcast. 
Once again, quick reminder, you can find us on the internet every day, heartland-sports.com, heartland-sports.com. We got Oklahoma Sooners coverage. We got the Thunder, uh, 85,000 views this month on the website. So thank you uh, for those of you that are visiting and dropping comments and hanging out with us there, heartland-sports.com. Also on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, uh, you can interact with us there as well. Rich, we got, um, we got some questions. I've got three. How many do you have? <laughs> my my list quickly dwindled after the okay. true or false segment right. to so one. You got to one, one okay. whole question. So, so here's yeah, what we'll yeah, do. I'll, I'll go first Man, with I, my first question, and then you jump in there with your first question, and then I'll have two more to end out with. How, how's that? Yeah, that works. That works. Okay, so here we go. Here's the first thing I want to know about this team as they begin bowl prep, get ready to go to San Antonio to play the Oregon Ducks on December 29th. Um, where is this team mentally? Think about everything that they've gone through. I mean, they, they went through it. The last time we saw them on the field, they lost Bedlam. They played competitively in both of their losses, but uh, there was questionable play calling. There was questionable plays made. I mean, people want to pin that loss on Lincoln Riley, and I think you can make an argument about it, but you can also bring up the Key Lawrence drop pick six. You can certainly bring up Eric Gray's muffed punt. You can bring up other things uh, about Bedlam if you want to that were player personnel issues. But where is this team mentally? You got you got a uh, you got a head coach in there and Bob Stoops who's in the interim. Are they locked in? Are they dialed in? Are they ready to go out and and prove to the world that that they can be uh, better without Lincoln Riley? Um, do they trust? I mean, do they trust the coaches that are coming in? I mean, you got Jamar Kane coming back. You got Calvin Thibodeau coming back. Brian Odom is going to be your play caller for the defense. And so you got guys who aren't even part of the coaching staff, won't be a part of the coaching staff, playing key roles in, in, in preparing this team to play Oregon. Do they trust those guys? And so I want to know where this team is at mentally. That is a big deal for me as I go into breaking down this bowl game and, and seeing how I'm going to prognosticate this thing against Oregon. I've got two questions all of a sudden. Um, yes, one of, you grew by one. Nice. Yeah, one of, one of the questions that I, that I am asking, and it's been alluded to on this podcast, is Oklahoma bringing in a couple of coaches who are already committed elsewhere. You look at uh, Jamar Kane, Calvin Thibodeau, Brian Odom, players who players, coaches who are no longer on this staff but are coming back for the bowl game. And when we begin to look at the preparations, they're not coaching for their jobs. Right. Bob Stoops' opinion of them doesn't matter in this contest, in this game. And it's not to say that these aren't individuals who will put their best foot forward, who will put the effort that is needed. But I do have to question when things go wrong, will, will these names actually tear? Will there be these adjustments that happen? And will the players respond to them knowing that they're already out the door, knowing that they are committed elsewhere, that they're not here for the long term? How does that affect that player to coach relationship? How does it affect the changes that these coaches will try to implement in the midst of a game, especially at halftime, and how, again, will, will the players respond to that, or will they at all? Well, and there is some good news to that, because it kind of, there's good news, because both of our questions are very similar, and, and there's some good news there, in that there's a lot of auditions going on uh, with this, with this bowl game. There's, there's a lot of auditions. When, when you look at players for the Sooners auditioning for positions uh, with a new coaching staff in 2022, and Brian Odom, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't want to be a linebackers coach for his entire career. I think he wants to work his way up, be a defensive coordinator somewhere, and someday be a, be a head coach. And so this is an audition for Brian Odom as well. And so it, if you're looking for a silver lining in this, I think that's probably where uh, where you're going to find it in that, um, that, you know, hopefully these coaches have enough compassion and concern and care for the players that they've spent time coaching and again, the audition that that's going to be their drive and their motivation to go out and to perform. But uh, good question. Here, here's my number two. Um, and, and this is a big one for me is who's going to emerge on, on the defensive line. Uh, we we've talked about it, rich Isaiah Thomas, not playing Perry and Winfrey, not playing um, Brian Asamoah, not playing Nick Bonito, not playing. Now, technically Brian Asamoah, Nick Bonito, those are linebackers, but they, 
play big, big roles on this defense. And so that elevates guys like Reggie, Reggie Grimes. You mentioned Josh Ellison. I mentioned Isaiah Coe, a guy we haven't mentioned who has a ton of potential is Coy Robertson, you know, there in, in the nose guard position. Deshaun White suddenly gets thrust back in potentially to a starting position and the middle linebacker. Or is it David Aguebu? Uh, and you move Deshaun White to the weak side at the wheel. Um, what does Marcus Stripling do? Can he come in and be that rush guy? Um, I did, there's, there's so many guys out there. Which one of those guys is going to step up and become the leader of this defense in the same way a Perry and Winfrey was, or a Nick Benito was, or a Brian Asamoah was, who's going to step into that role? That's a very important question because you and I have talked about leadership. You and I have talked about nasty. You and I have talked about setting the tone and the edge. And Brian Asamoah has been doing that all season long. Perry and Winfrey has been doing that all season long. Someone has to step in there. Isaiah Thomas has been doing that all season long. Somebody has to bring that on this defensive front, because as you alluded to rich, the way you beat Oregon is you beat them in the trenches. And now you got to wonder, can Oklahoma do that with basically a, I mean, I'm just going to call it what it is. It's a second team unit. That's going to go out against Oregon in the Alamo bowl. Someone's got to step up. I don't know who that's going to be. When we look at this defensive line, man, Matt, I have to look at what Reggie Grimes has been stating. I have to look at the comments that he's making. And when you're looking for a guy who, when they're not on TV, when the cameras aren't rolling, who appears to be putting in the work, it seems as though it is Reggie Grimes. Reggie Grimes is on record. What I've tried to convey to the guys was this is the most important game that we're ever going to play. That conversation took place via Zoom on a Friday. It says because it's the next game that we have. It's not just, oh, we're in the Alamo Bowl. No, this is another game that we have. So the prep hasn't changed. Nothing changes. He realizes the gravity of the situation. He realizes the opportunity that's there as well. Are you buying into a statement like that and saying maybe Grimes has the edge when you're you're promoting it? This isn't just another game. This is the most important game possibly of our lives. Well, I think there's a difference between wanting to run through a brick wall and being able to run through a brick wall. And I think that's when you, when you see comments <laughs> like that, look, great that you want to, but the question is, can you? And that's, that's where I, I am right now with this defensive line. I know you want to, but can you, and will you? And that's, that's what we've got to figure out in, in the next 10 mm-hmm. days. Yeah. But we also know that this is that opportunity to showcase your talents to a new head coach to think that Brent Venables right. won't be there is a foolish statement. No, he'll to be make. Yeah, I don't exactly. I don't know what in, his involvement is, but I can guarantee you he will have access to the players. He will have access to the mm-hmm. locker room that he most likely, at least I'm assuming would be spotted on the sideline interacting with players. Uh, he'll be, no, he'll be in a press box somewhere. I, he won't be on the sideline. Well, that's a bummer. And, just ruined like, my whole statement. Unless it's late in the game. I mean, I'm just saying my opinion. Unless it's like late in the game, mm-hmm. the closing minutes down there to, to celebrate or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think otherwise you're going to see Brent up in the press box taking notes. Right, which, which is probably more realistic. Why? Because it gives him an opportunity to assess what's happening from a top-down view instead of being below. Right. You know that those fields are arched. You're technically on the sideline below the action that's taking place. Giving you that bird's eye view is is an easy way for a guy like a Brent Venable to start pegging, okay, who are candidates that I can begin to rely on as mm-hmm. we head into the spring? Who are the candidates who I can tap to set the tone for what we want to do? And who are the guys that I can get to buy in? Because they're they're putting in the work right now, which shows me they'll put on the work in the future. Exactly. You, did you sit, do your second question? No, I didn't do my right. second question. You did that, man. Yeah, my second question really is with the the on-the-field product for Oklahoma heading into the Alamo Bowl, and it's largely because fans of the Big 12 and fans of the Pac-12 love to criticize the officiating. Now that a Pac-12 team and a Big 12 team will be on the field together, it means that neither of those officiating crews will be available for that game. Will we get better officiating in this game? Is And really how I want to phrase this question, is this the game where Oklahoma fans or Oregon fans more so been pointing Oklahoma fans because I'm around that. I hear the comments. 
of the refs blew that one. Is this a game where we as a fan base as a whole will stop using that as an excuse and instead begin to look at it and say, look, we didn't have big 12 officiating. The officiating took a step up. We're not going to blame the refs in this one. And instead we're going to assess the situations that are taking place. Maybe not having certain players available, key players like a Nick Benito not available impacted the game. And instead of making that excuse, just saying, look, the, the better equipped team, the team that was more prepared won today. Look, I'm not a guy that uh, that blames a loss on the officiating. Now, I am a guy who who heavily criticizes officiating. Even back when my son was playing, I was like the the worst critic for the officials. Um, But that said, look, just just go watch bowl games. I I don't know. I know you really don't watch football unless you got like a a rooting interest in it. I'm opposite. I said bad. If it's on football, if it's on, I'm watching. So I've been watching the bowl games. We got a bowl pick em contest going on at Heartland Sports. I'm doing some stuff for Tally Site with their bowl picking, uh, prognosticating. And so I've been paying attention. Uh, but what you watch the, the poorest officiated bowl games are going to be bowl games that feature Big 12 or Pac 12 officiating crews. I, I, does that mean that this is going to be a clean game and there won't be any missed calls? That's not at all what that means, but I do think you got a point that this will probably be one of the cleanest, if not the cleanest uh, officiated games that either of these two teams have played in all season long. But again, I, I think when you look at the, um, the uh, debacle, um, debacle that happened in Eugene with the, uh, with the onside kick way back in the 2005 season, that's I mean, something like that. You can absolutely say officiating affected the outcome of the game because Oklahoma recovers that off an outside kick, which they clearly did. Oklahoma's award the ball there. They, they win, they win the game. Um, I don't think you see anything close to anything along those lines here in this matchup with the Sooners and the Ducks. All right, here's my last one. Um, and it's about Kel Gundy being the offensive play caller. And it's just this. Does Kel Gundy have it in him to run the show, to run? I mean, this is a guy who has done just about every job there is to do on the offensive side of the ball. He's coached, he's coached running backs. He's coached receivers. He's coached inside receivers, outside receivers. He was a quarterback. He's coached quarterbacks. Can he play? Can he call the plays? And really, what is, I mean, what is this offense even going to look like? Is it, is this going to be a morphed offense? Because Caleb Williams has been in a Lincoln Riley system his entire time. He's been with the Sooners, which isn't a long time. So is Kel, is Kel Gundy going to, is this going to look like a Lincoln Riley system? Is he going to be like, you know what? I think we should run the ball more. And is Kennedy Brooks going to benefit from this play calling? Is, is he actually going to try to keep, Caleb Williams in the pocket, or is he going to move the pocket? Is he going to give Caleb Williams the green light to run the ball if there's nothing there? I mean, I just, I'm, I'm really curious. What is this offense going to look like? And is Kel Gundy capable of running it? I think he is. I think he's very capable of running it. I think he may be the most knowledgeable offensive coach that they have on this staff right now. Um, and I think he's going to be a huge asset to, to landing uh, in, in the future, but I'm kind of excited about this one. I, I think this is, is something that's really going to be a make or break thing for the Sooners um, in terms of winning this game. And, um, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. That's it. Kel Gundy, Kel Gundy oh, for me is a little bit of a, a unique enigma. Um, if I can use that label and Brent Venables was the same way. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, a guy who didn't seem to want to move up the ladder from the coordinator position to a head coach position, that was evidenced in his parting of ways with Oklahoma and then assuming that same role at Clemson and holding that for 10 years. I know that that opportunity, I know that names have come, universities have come knocking on the door and he's never said once. And I asked of Brent Venables, why now? Why after, after 21 years, why, why now I'm asking the same thing of Kel Gundy is why have you never accepted the idea of moving up this, this coaching ladder into a coordinator role? Granted, the circumstances are a little bit different. Granted, he's a guy who does have the working knowledge of Bob Stoops, as well as the offense that was being run under Lincoln Riley. He knows what's expected. I'm not saying that he's the wrong guy 
to take over that responsibility for now. But what I'm questioning is why not do this before? It, I, it alludes to the questions that you're asking of Kale yeah. Gundy. I just, I just think with Kale Gundy, it's, it's a guy, he played for OU. He loves the university. He loves the state of Oklahoma. He loves where he is and he's content. I mean, he, he loves what he does. And, and, and Brent Venables, it took the right job to get him out of the coordinator role into the head coaching role. And I, I think uh, with Kale Gundy, it's just, uh, he, he's a guy who, who loves being a Sooner and he's a Sooner for life. I, I said in one of the previous co- podcasts, he's going to be like Merv Johnson. You know, Merv Johnson went from the sidelines to player personnel development to the booth. To, I mean, he was just a guy who was always there going all the way back to the Switzer era. And um, I, I think you're going to see that from Kale Gundy uh, as well. Okay, that wraps it up for us. Uh, next time we come back, we actually get to talk, start talking X's and O's, Oklahoma and Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. Um, you, again, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we will be back before Christmas, so uh, we do want to wish you a Merry Christmas. No, we won't be back before. Yeah, we will, because Christmas is until Saturday, right? Correct. Yeah. Christmas okay, Eve so. is Friday. Yeah, we'll be back before Christmas, so we won't do the whole Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas stuff just yet. We'll save that for one of the other episodes, but we do hope you have a fantastic week wherever it takes you, and Boomer Sooner.